Hey. I love it. I think that music is so soothing. It almost put me to sleep. I know. I think maybe you're going to have to make that the lively one again. <laughs> I think so. Hey, guys, welcome to episode number 36, 36 of the Friday Froster, where today we are going to be frying up some fake employees. Ooh, I love Ooh. it. Now, look, guys, let me tell you. Oh, wait. So Kelly is missing today. Yes. So Kelly, she'll be back soon. Mm -hmm. But Kelly is you. not here with today. We'll miss you, Kelly. She'll watch it. So we got to do lots of Kelly hashtags today. That's right. So look, guys, today, today is going to be real interesting because when we first looked at the story, we thought it was one thing. And then so I'll do some prep like about 30 minutes beforehand where I dig a little bit deeper than the initial stories. And boy, Joe and I found some really interesting stuff like about 15, 20 minutes ago. Yeah. I know I say this every week, but this one is crazy. <laughs> yeah. That's a, I mean, yeah. really, really crazy. But we've got Stephanie here from Seattle. Hey, Stephanie, good to see you. Beth Cole is here. You say you love the alliteration, Beth. I know. They just come to me. I don't know why. And Alaba is here. My man. <laughs> I saw your second LinkedIn video. I didn't see your first one. Good stuff. Keep it up. I saw it, man. I saw it. I was worried. I'm here because I didn't even see you post about today's. So I feel bad. I didn't repost or like or anything. So I'm a little behind here. So it's okay. Now, did you connect it to your profile so that it's now streaming from your profile? Okay. So, you know, my computer woes, Robert. <laughs> You're lucky I'm even up and running today because <laughs> I took kind of Thanksgiving off. I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, and I finally am up and running with my computer again, but I'm having to kind of reconnect everything. So it's okay. my fault. No, it's not on my LinkedIn profile. But since I now am like Robert, cool like Robert and have LinkedIn live, I will <laughs> make sure I do that for next week. All righty. So. Debbie is here Yay! from Denver. Denver in the house. Debbie. <laughs> Pozo is here from NYC. And Beth says that we are frying up fake flunkies. Man, look, you guys, when you guys hear this story, you're going to freak out because this thing is insane. And, I, and I'm not joking. But let me just remind you, you are here with us on the Friday Froster. If you would like to see past episodes, go to FridayFroster.com. By the way, if you want to get CPE credit just for watching a podcast or listening to a podcast, go to thatauditguy.com. There you will see my newly redesigned homepage and you will see for sale up front one hour of CPE for listening to this podcast or maybe half an hour sometimes at very reasonable rates. So now... The other thing I want to tell you guys about is the fraud retreat. Joe, what is the fraud retreat? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. We've even had a couple of people sign up this week. And I know it's everybody is worried about the early bird pricing going away. So I want to remind everybody that Kelly and a couple other speakers and I, we decided to do put together this fraud retreat. It's going to be in Denver, two days, 16 CPEs, and it's only 600 bucks. And you get to have fun at the Gaylord Rockies Resort and Convention Center, August 4th and 5th, 2022. 
So I am planting the seed now because I know how those budget years go. And I want you guys to make sure that you budget for that for next year. So I'm going to extend the early bird pricing into January. So I know Debbie's even reached out. How long is that price going to be there? So it's going to be through the end of January at least. Um, so that if you want that expense in next year, in the right year, right? We're talking about fraud anyway. Uh, you can you can buy it in January as well. So go to fraudretreat.com. I'll put it in the comments too and sign up. Going to be the best conference in 2022. There you go. And you heard it there first. If you want to know more about that, go to fraudretreat.com. Now, here's what I want to tell you guys about. As auditors, you know we have to learn how to influence people. And when I say influence, I don't mean like Kim Kardashian social media influencing. But in order for us to do our jobs and to do them well, we have to have some sort of influence in our organization. Hence my new one-hour course, Introductory introdu Introduction to Influencing While Auditing. Now, here's what I will say. It is an on-demand course. And right now, you can find it for sale on my website. One hour, $24.99. It's on sale at 50% off only today for you guys who watch Friday Froster. Again, if you go to thatauditguy.com, you will see it on my newly redesigned homepage. And you'll see that it is on sale. So we also want to tell you about. Uh, I want to check ahead. out your newly designed homepage. Sorry. I just was like, ooh. Oh, see, you've you got to see it. You never sleep, do you, Robert? We're going to have to have a side conversation about this again. Okay. Anyway, keep going. You're good. Well, I sleep sometimes. I know. I know. Every once in a while. You nap. But we also want to tell you guys about the Great Women in Fraud podcast. That is Kelly's podcast. Now, it is one of the best fraud podcasts out there, and she interviews people from all over the planet, and she's yes. getting a whole lot of downloads. Yeah, and she was just named um, one of the top five podcasts by one of the ACFE chapters. Oh. So, yeah, that was an awesome, awesome honor for her. So I was glad she made that list. She deserved it. Nice. Wow. And yeah. our last thing before we jump into the story is it's almost Christmas. Get your favorite auditor some merch. Go to my website, thatauditguy.com, where on my newly redesigned homepage, you will find the merch as well. Here's the awesome auditor shirt. It is very awesome. And we're auditors. So get your favorite auditor and awesome auditor t-shirt. With that said. With oh, that said. Oh, oh man. Oh, you know what? So, so look, here, here's where we're gonna start on this one. This wow. Again, I know I say this every week, but you guys, I uh, mm. okay. Let's just talk about it. Doug Wold pilfered more than $100,000 from Fry Foods in 2020, and he was recently sentenced to 41 months in federal prison. He pleaded guilty to charges in May. Now, he could have faced up to 20 years in prison with a maximum fine of $250,000 for wire and mail fraud. Hell wire and mail fraud. Um, <laughs> Hal's not here. Where's Hal? I know. <laughs> but, but get this. This man had a, well, non-sophisticated, sophisticated scheme. One part of it said, and I'll just get right to the meat and potatoes because I teased it so much. According to the affidavit, he would email a spreadsheet to the accounting department listing employees and their pay. He would later personally pick up the checks, 
removing the fraudulent checks and later depositing them into a bank account in into an Idaho bank account. And that was a bank account that he owned. Now, when officials at Fry Foods discovered that he was doing something, they wanted to fire him, but then decided to keep him around during the investigation for fear that he might delete or falsify or conceal records. Okay, so now you guys are probably wondering. Well, well, first, let's just talk about this, Joe, because this this, yeah. this one in and of itself is just really insane. So let's talk about this. This well, man was able to. Yeah, go well, ahead, go ahead. First of all, can we just hashtag because Kelly's not here? Tips find fraud because I did read that this came from a tip, there right? So yeah. it didn't really give us much much information on who the tip was from, though. Did you read that anywhere else? Couldn't find it. No. Couldn't find it. Okay, so we know that tips find fraud. So what kills me, I think, about what you've talked about so far is what century are we in? Why are we still cutting paper <laughs> payroll checks? I mean, I think that's like. You know, I love that clearly he still got wire fraud because he put it in his bank account and transferred it between accounts. So we still got wire fraud out of it. But still, why are we doing I like stepped back a century, I feel like where we're like going and picking up people's payroll checks, like by the alphabet, like by the last name. Right. I don't, anyway. Right. Right. So, yeah. So that was the first thing. How in the world did they accept a spreadsheet from someone? And by the way, now. He wasn't the department supervisor. So you guys, his role in the organization was he was the head of human resources. So that alone should tell you if you're looking at employee timesheets and you're sending them into payroll, it should come from the department head. You know, the person who the people directly report to, not human resources. Mm, so, mm, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead I, I go could ahead. keep going. I mean, like we could just keep going with the problems in this. I was I was going back to the ghost audit days. Right. I mean, we have to do ghost employee audits and there's so many different ways. What I love about audit is the different ways you can get at something. So I just remember back doing one where it was, well, first of all, there's going to be no record of this person. Right. So that, you know, you get an HR report of employees, you get a payroll report of employees. I just did that for one of the companies that I work for. Or you work with your IT departments, get logins to computers, lists of logins compared to payroll. Like there's so many ways we could get at this. But I'm guessing if we were still doing paper spreadsheets and paper checks that we probably didn't even have an audit department. <laughs> I don't know. This one uh, is weird. So now, now, now let's talk about this for a minute while we're here. Because mm -hmm. back in the day, I worked for a grocery chain uh, called Win Dixie. Most people outside of the southeastern, Win Dixie. You know Win Dixie. That's right. Dixie. You do. Yeah. yeah. So we would audit the stores as well. So we would go out to many of the retail locations, and while there, we would make them run a, a, a report of everyone who was at work, and we would go find everyone because we were looking mm -hmm. for ghost employees. Mm -hmm. So now the fact that your human resources person was able to send you a spreadsheet with employees and their hours that they worked, and then that same human resources person went and picked up the checks, and no one saw that as a red flag. Now, Joe, I know you don't like the victim shame. No, that's Kel well, we can we'll blame Kelly. She's the one that doesn't like us to victim shame. <laughs> I knew where you were going because I'm like, okay, hashtag segregation of duties. <laughs> right. Now, Shree says she knows when Dixie. Yeah. <laughs> and we got a lot of people in here today. Gabe is here. My man, Gabe. Checking out the live stream, Gabe. Um, Pozo is here. 
Tree is saying hey to everybody. She's saying hey to you, Joe, and everybody else. Hi. So how big is Fry Foods, Robert? Do we know? This is where we need like Hal and, and Kelly. They're the good and the looker uppers. <laughs> like, how big is Fry Foods? I don't know. And I forgot to look it up when I, I was look. doing some research. So yeah, I'll just I'll add lib for a minute and tell the guys about the rest of the story while you look that up. Okay. And Gabe says, did we ever hear about the Pappy Van Winkle heist? Gabe, never heard about that one, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to look it up and it might be on a future episode of the Friday Froster. So you guys, while we're talking about this dude, let, let's just let, let's dig a little deeper into this man. The initial concern started when um, it was triggered when Fry Foods paid $39,995 in an invoice to a company that it thought was doing COVID testing for its employees in its Ontario plant. Now, the check was issued to a company called Halalala Health. <laughs> whose mailing address turned out to be a mailbox service in Meridian, Idaho, where they were. Now, according to police reports, it was discovered that that company, Halalala, was actually the name of a former Fry Foods employee. Okay, so now. This just keeps getting better. Oh, yeah, it does. But it gets <laughs> even better on, on, on this front. Apparently, that $39,900 check never made it to the intended recipients because, of course, uh, our, our guy Doug stole the money. But what Doug had done was he actually outsourced the COVID testing to a third party for a much lower price. And one of the reasons it got caught was because he didn't even pay the third party what he owed them. So literally, let's just say he had a $40,000 check and this other company charged 20. If he had just paid that other company their 20 and then profited his 20 in his fraud scheme he may have been okay but he kept the full forty thousand dollars and it's it was his he made up that company yes like right out of thin air the holla lalo yeah yeah so we could add this to our list of covid frauds as well because he take it took advantage of this opportunity that we all have so go figure okay so get this uh, Fry Foods is actually owned by Kroger, the Kroger company. Yes. So it is one, Fry is one of about 25 regional um, banners owned by the Kroger company, the nation's number one grocery chain. Wow. <laughs> so we learn something new every day. Wow. Anyway. Did not know that. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay, so my friends. Go ahead. Sorry. Doesn't it get better though, Joe? It does. Totally okay. does. This guy's Which a character. Do you want to go to next? Go, well, I don't know. Maybe his past history. Yes. There you okay. go. All right. All right. So this dude had a past history and it was a fairly lengthy history. I mean, he has literally made a career out of being a criminal. So his first conviction was in 1991 when he was 19 years old. He was convicted of second degree theft. And that was his first, I'm sorry, that was his first felony conviction. But then in 1993, he was convicted in Moscow of resisting police and sentenced to six days in jail and convicted of attempting to elude police after receiving probation. All right. Uh, court records show that he was sentenced to a year in state prison for the forgery charge in this one and credited with 262 days already served. Now, more than a decade later, he would still owe more than $4,000 in restitution on that one. Then in 1996, 
he was in the Boise area racking up more convictions again for forgery and now grand theft. And he was put on probation yet again. Then he got married in 2001 and had three sons. In 2005, he became a licensed real estate appraiser in Idaho, building a successful company as the Boise real estate market began to boom. But then in 2007, oh boy, in 2007, he would set his office on fire, but then the gasoline that he used exploded, burning him badly. Prosecutors then charged him with arson and insurance fraud. He negotiated a plea deal in 2010. He admitted to the arson and getting the uh, and, and then got the fraud charges dropped. Crazy. He got a 20 year prison sentence suspended and then he was uh, uh, put in jail for one year and then on probation. And then he was ordered to pay uh, two insurance companies one hundred and thirty four thousand dollars. But it's not done yet, guys. We're not finished yet. He was sentenced to jail in 2011 for violating his parole and his wife filed for divorce two months later. The divorce was final the following year, but she died of health issues in 2013. Then he would spend about four months at a North Idaho correctional institution in Cottonwood, Idaho, uh, for inmates who who might, quote unquote, who might, after a period of programming and evaluation, be viable candidates for pro pro for probation rather than incarceration. So after all this, they still gave him another chance. Then at one point he faced one judge where um, he told the judge, the judge asked him, well, what's wrong with you? And he told the judge, I don't know, I can't help it. Well, at least that's somewhat honest. I, I, I mean, honestly, I, I feel the most the saddest thing that you just read out of the whole thing was when you said he had three boys. Oh. Yep. Um, do you have the picture of him that you could show the people oh, on or no? I do. I just, I mean, really, you know, that's what always strikes me about these is, you know, I don't want to say he looks normal, but he, he looks he, normal. Like, and I think. Normal. It is just kind of eye-opening, especially with his history, that we just can't assume normality these days. Um, and we cannot assume that people will not take advantage of being in situations. And that's why we, right, as auditors, have to make sure these situations don't exist. However, I mean, like the whole arson and that, I mean, that just goes off a whole nother deep end. But you know, when I read that he owned his own appraisal company, during a housing boom, I immediately kind of put up red flags because to me, you know, those are like the appraisals and the inspections of homes and stuff. Those are such easy areas uh, or targets for like bribes and kickbacks and, you know, hey, you know, rubbing shoulders with somebody like I know you need your house appraised for X amount. If you, you go with me, I'll do it, you know, and it just seems like right up his alley reading all this stuff. A absolutely. But, you know, to your point, though, this is what he looks like. He looks like a normal guy. I know. Just I know. It's funny because when, when you read that he had gotten burned, I was like going back to the picture to see if I could. <laughs> how sad is that? I'm like, wow. It's terrible because yeah. I did the same thing. Now, yeah. Pozo is saying, what kind of payroll system did they use? Apparently a spreadsheet from 1985. I don't like. 
Apparently so. And Shri is asking about the fraud that happened at Joel Osteen's church where they found 600K in the bathroom wall. So look. I just saw Dan Ramey post about that one this morning. I just saw that one. Did you see what I said about it, though? I was being a little cheeky. I said it was D.B. Cooper. I I didn't see that. (laughs) That's a crazy one. Yeah, they're going to find out something uh, squirrely with that. Now, Pozo says deep fried books, outstanding checks, ghost employees. (laughs) Even when people are doing the wrong thing, they need to do the right things. Large corporations need to check controls. Uh, at acquired companies, to say the least. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I want to add a plug to that, you know, because I think we do know maybe Fry Foods isn't that big, but they are a, a part of a bigger organization, at least from what Wikipedia is telling me right now. And, you know, us as auditors or, you know, like Rob and I going into companies as consultants, we cannot forget those subsidiaries. And, you know, I always like to tell auditors, when you're going through your audit universe, Think about where it could be out of sight, out of mind. Where are they doing their own thing? Where it, you know, and that goes for third-party vendors too, as well as some of these subsidiaries and sales offices and places in, you know, field offices and other regions. Like those need to be considered higher risk because this decentralization, you know, can leads to exactly what Pozo just put up there. Lack of, of all those things. So, look, here's here's the big question, though. What what happened to the background check? <laughs> yeah. Well, don't get me started on the Googling thing again, Robert. I got in trouble, remember? Because I'm like, why can't we Google employees before we hire them? And then everybody yelled at Joe. So anyway. <laughs> but, but. But background the, check would have yeah. caught this one. Yeah, absolutely. But in the story, in one of the stories, apparently... When the executives got suspicious, that's exactly what they did. They Googled him, and that's when they found out his past. Ooh, so will that come? Well, obviously, that didn't come back to bite them because he is sentenced at least to 41 months. You know, I, I wish I could have been a fly in the wall, not trial, though, in bringing up the background and if they were allowed to, because I certainly would think, you know, there needs to be a consideration of previous issues in some of these right like i anyway i mean i guess 41 months is better than nothing and considering the dollar amount i'm sure that came into it but i mean when did past discretions you know get to add up to Ooh. so gabe asked uh, another question he says so what happens when you have an auditor that is showing fraud mm-hmm. and has evidence but is ignored as such with the harry Macopolis uh when he tried to warn the mm-hmm. sec about bernie madoff's ponzi scheme mm-hmm. yeah that was a sad one and i i always call that one a it was a blind spot you know unfortunately nobody wanted to believe that something was wrong with bernie madoff you know he was this leader this authority figure on wall street and Everybody had a blind spot to it. And unfortunately, nobody did listen. That's why he wrote the book. No one would listen. <laughs> Great title. Great book. And the other thing, too, though, it's not just in that case. I mean, auditors all over the globe have a have to fight a battle of trying to disclose the mm-hmm. truth in organizations and being shot down and sometimes shut out, sometimes ridiculed, mocked. I mean, it's it's a hard job that we have. Because we have to maintain high moral and ethical standards, even when the organization might be against us. So 
it, it's one of those things where y- you have to love the job and you have to hold on to the truth. And I, you know, I'm going to add something that I've never said on a podcast until this week. So I was on a new podcast this week, Tracy Brown, who is a body language expert. Uh, she has a podcast, Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. So check it out if you don't know um, Tracy. But she had me on and we talked about my top 13 frauds of my, and I put in parentheses, unlucky or lucky audit career. And we talked about 13 frauds that, you know, and of the 13, Robert, let's just talk about the fact that seven were actually found from a tip from an employee or a customer of the organization. I'm proud to say that six we caught during our audit procedures, because I think that statistic's actually pretty high. Cause really, I think it's like 45% employee, 15% internal audit. But, you know, I, you know, I went through all of these scenarios with her. And the one thing I said was auditors are whistleblowers and they don't think of themselves as whistleblowers, but we are. And, you know, even me compiling this list of 13, I was a whistleblower in six of the cases. And so I don't, I just, I want you guys to take that. And it is, we, we talk about all the time how hard whistleblowers have it. It's a hard position to be in. And we take that on as auditors. So I don't, I mean, I think we should pat ourselves on the, you guys, everybody pat themselves on the back, right? Yeah. I mean, I've never thought about it that way though, until I talked to Tracy about auditors or whistleblowers in their own, in their own right, because Tracy has a lot of whistleblower guests on her podcast. Mm -hmm. And I was honored that she asked me because she's got a lot of whistleblowers. She's got a lot of criminals that come on and, and I'm thinking, I don't have a jaw dropping story. Oh, but I found 13 of them, you know, I was about to say 13, exactly, right? (laughs) So you don't have one, you have 13. Yeah. Well, and I've got a fake vendor. I did not have ghost employees. Never. I've never experienced a ghost employee. Um, I thought about that. We've done lots of audits, but the ghost vendor was a huge one that we talked about. So that's in this case as well. So people don't think these things happen anymore and they do every day. And Gabe says he's so fascinated by this show and the subject material. Thanks, Gabe. Thanks, Gabe. Thank you, Gabe. Stephanie loves uh, Tracy's podcast. That's good. That's awesome to hear. Yeah, yeah. You know, okay. So there are a few things that really stuck out for me with this, this case. First, this young man was a career criminal through and through. He was even arrested in another country. So... We know that there's no way they did background checks. Someone just said, though, Moscow, Idaho. Did you see that? Yes. I I, is that a place? I, I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe and maybe it is. I was wrong thinking Russia. So Whoever that I, was, tell us if there is I think that Moscow. was Stephanie. Stephanie, if there's a Moscow, yeah. Idaho, let us know, because I was thinking <laughs> Russia. I'm hoping it was Idaho. But, yeah, I thought Russia initially. So, yeah, you're right. Thank you, Joe. See, if so, if it, around me. I don't know, I kind of, my, is it sad that I went to, if he was, if he got caught for something in Moscow, like he might still be in Moscow. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Stephanie says it is Moscow, Idaho. Okay. 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 Good. Okay. All right. I, I feel a little better, but, but that still makes it even worse because th- he was caught in the very same state that he was still working because some companies don't do federal background checks, but they may at least do a state background check. So they must not have done anything because this man's history was checkered to the point where he told a judge that he couldn't help himself. But to make matters worse, after he had a few darn arrests, they they still wanted to make him eligible for a program to where he may not have to go to jail, even after he said, I can't help it. Now, 
he created some fake employees or used some real employees. But now another thing that they talked about in some of the other articles was he was actually convicted or charged with identity theft, too, because apparently he stole about 20 people's identities. But this is what happened when he got caught. I thought this was quite interesting. He had a box of payroll checks in his car totaling $23,065 when the police pulled him over. So the police pulled him over with the evidence in his car to substantiate his fraud scheme. And this only happened over what, wasn't it three months or something? Yes. It was like May to August. So this all, I mean, kudos to the company because a lot of these stories that we do, it goes on for like three to four years, right? So, I mean, the, I'd say if we could pick the positive out of this one, it's that it was caught within three months, caught mm -hmm. by tip, you know, but he was very, I think he was very greedy and careless. And it does seem from his, his past that that was kind of his, he's a fast paced fraudster. Is that a new hashtag? Kelly, Ooh. is that a good, oh, I have to ask Kelly, fast paced fraudster. <laughs> I, I like that. What I mean, really he was. One judge even said something about uh, he felt, let's see if I can find it. He felt like he was entitled. Ah, here we go. So let's see. He was facing one court in 2012 where a judge criticized him, saying that his pursuit uh, said that he would pursue the good life at by any possible by any means possible. Mm -hmm. At sentencing, a state report concluded that Wood Fields, quote unquote, he is entitled to whatever he wants in life, even if he has to lie, cheat, and steal to get it. So a judge said this about him in 2012. Yet in 2020, he was still able to get a job as a human resource manager. Yeah, that is crazy. Uh, Pozo just said it. A human resources professional stealing employees' identities, wondering how often that happens. I mean, this is where, I mean, again, we're going to talk about segregation of duties, right? Human resources and payroll need to be two different things. Pozo knows this stuff. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but yeah, I'm just, I'm baffled by this one. I mean, especially even stealing identities of terminated employees that were real people employed there. A, like somebody management, I mean, needs to wake up and these are such easy, quick data analytics. Can we say it? Okay, these people were termed. Let's just compare that to the payrolls, you know, the next month and just make sure there's no, I mean, come on. These are easy things management can implement. They don't even need an audit group to do this stuff. They need to be doing this stuff on their own. I know all you guys know. Sorry, I'll get Agreed. off my soapbox. No, <laughs> because some people don't know this. And we also I have know. people who are non-auditors that listen to this as True. well. True. So now Stephanie says Meridian, Boise, and Moscow are all in the same area. And Alaba says, uh, on fraud-related matters, I do not believe fraudsters change for too long. Mm -hmm. It's their nature. It's obvious in their histories. Agreed. Sad but true. As much as I'd love to think I could influence anyone to be more ethical, I know that. I mean, like he's, I mean, he, right, he was honest. I can't help myself. That's what he said. I think that should be the uh, hashtag of the day for this one. I can't help myself. And he still got a sec for, for a tenth chance. I I, I lost count. <laughs> you know, some people they go down on the first one, and then others they go down. <laughs> that's what Kelly would say too, because I mean that's the crazy. Sometimes it, it's so inconsistent in our law in our legal system that it's it's hard to understand. I mean, you've got white collar criminals that are going to 
jail or getting probation for, you know, months and years, and you've got these low level embezzlers that are ruined, their lives are ruined, you know, for 10, 20 years. And it's just, it's the inconsistency. And then you got this guy. I mean, come on. Oh, but check out what else he said, though. He said, the truth is that I am not as much the story as Fry Foods is or will be when all the facts and financials come to light. Wold said in an email, he declined further comment and asked not to be contacted again. Now, this was before he was actually sentenced. So this was uh, earlier on in the year this year. But apparently he's saying that there's more to the story. I'm not sure if that's true because he's been convicted and. Well, I get I bet he's victim shaming, too, a little bit because he's saying, oh, you put me in charge. You're the one you know, it's your it's your fault. You didn't you know, you gave me too much control. And I bet I bet that's what his mind was saying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now we oh, have a LinkedIn that. user and I'm going to cheat uh, Sharif. Sharif says organizations should have should invest more time in closing the opportunity to commit fraud factor. Or, yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. Yeah, I in my so in my book, can I selfishly plug oh, heck the yeah, book? Plug. Um, Becoming the Everyday Ethicist. Yes, it's about how we all can be become more ethical, but I have an entire chapter on how we can do total ethical auditing and that's about doing a fraud triangle risk assessment. What is the opportunity for it to happen? What are the incentives, the pressures? What's the motivation? What's the rationalization gonna be if it happens? But the point is we have to start using that before it happens. We've got to look at and assess the risk of the fraud triangle factors, not just at the end when we catch somebody go, oh, okay, what was the rationalization? What was the opportunity? And then, did, you know, and then close the gap because, you know, I'm a fraud examiner too. I think Kelly would agree. We tend to kind of do that, the hindsight thing. Hindsight's 2020. Let's, let's close the gap by what happened. But I'm saying let's risk assess by those factors and close the gap before it happens. Ooh, now while we're talking about becoming the everyday ethicist, Joe, you also have something. What is it? The 12, the 12 good things you should do. The Wait a minute. The 12, uh, what is it? I don't know. What are you talking about? The, the 12 I, uh, deadly sins of uh, oh, the 12. Seven, seven deadly sins. I'm sorry. Seven. Sorry. Seven. sorry. I'm like 12. <laughs> you know what? I probably sadly could come up with 12 deadly unethical or ethical sins of organizations, but I have I seven and well, I yeah, write about them in my book. And yes, and they're, uh, it's a new CPE program that I've been doing for IIA chapters. They're loving it. Something different than becoming the everyday ethicist. So yes, the seven deadly ethical sins of organizations has become my latest uh, program. Really the fun. Seven deadly ethical sins of organizations. You got now, it. Beth, you said you like my alliteration earlier. There's an alliteration for you, my friend, if you're still listening. So yeah, yeah. I think you guys should check that program out. Didn't you do it one time, uh, a part of it on the uh, um, um, Innovative Auditor Challenge? I did. Yep, I did one hour of it for the Innovative Auditor Challenge. I usually do it in two because there's so much to talk about, so many companies to pick on to give you examples. And then for each of the seven sins, we talk about what auditors should be looking for. How can we get in front of these before they happen at your org? Exactly. So you guys should check out that program. Again, I've seen the one hour version. It is spectacular. 
So we have the everyday ethicist. We have the seven deadly ethical skins. Yep, you got it. <laughs> at, <laughs> at, at least I got the number right this time, right? That's right. All right. So you guys, today we were talking about a human resources worker who, man, he the guy was a career criminal. He was cutting some fake checks to himself and depositing them in bank accounts. He actually defrauded them with uh, a payroll scheme. Now, let me also mention with the uh, not payroll with the COVID scheme. Let me also mention, though, with that COVID fraud, that company actually did perform the work. They just didn't get paid. So that company performed the work and they did not get paid their money. And he actually kept the money. And uh, he has been looks like in and out of jail since the age of 19. And now he's in his 40s which means that that company did not do a background check on this young man either. Um, and and as Hal says a lot, he was convicted of wire fraud. <laughs> I don't mail, mail fraud, wire fraud, money laundering, because he bought a boat. Did we even mention that he bought a boat? We forgot about the we boat. Forgot the yes. boat. I think that's one of those other signs, you know, some people, like Kelly says the signs are horses and liking Vegas. I think buying a boat could be a sign too. <laughs> yes. He bought a boat. I forgot all about that. It was like uh, $68,000 for the boat, I think is what they said. Now, Gabe is asking, uh, you guys as auditors deal with what Timothy R. Levine calls defaulting to truth theory. And Malcolm, Gla yeah, Malcolm Gladwell does talk a lot about it in, in the book Talking to Strangers. Uh, your jobs as auditors and what Joe mentioned as whistleblowers must be at times taxing mentally. Yes, it is. And man, why won't Restream let me show the rest of Gabe's uh, comments? Let's see. Must be taxing mentally. How hard is it to make a company or business owner realize the truth of fraud? Gabe, that's a very good question. So Joe has the books. Joe I, has did a, I did a webinar on these ones, Gabe. Like I loved reading about uh, the truth default theory. It's, it's, in, it's amazing. Amazing. So Gabe, here's what I'll tell you. So Joe is a fabulous reader and I'm not. So what I do is I let Joe read the books and then Joe has a monthly webinar that she does where she uh, 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 tells us what the books were, were about and we get continuing professional education credit for it. So you guys who are still listening, if you want to check out those, go to Joe's website and you can sign up for the book club. Now, Joe, aren't you doing like a bundle where they can purchase all 12 months worth? Uh well, that's total quality auditing. So you're mixing oh. up all my, you're like, this is like the Joe show. You're like selling all my stuff today. People are going <laughs> to think I like bribed you. No, um, cpebookclub.com. There is one out there called don't be duped by strangers or don't get duped by strangers. And that is all about this one. So Gabe, I, I agree. We need to now, talk. Gabe is saying you guys need to talk. Yeah, so. I know. Yeah, I know. It, is, but, it but. is taxing, though, to answer the question. Uh, yeah, that's what I was going about. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait, where was I going here? No, I mean, right? It's taxing and people don't listen to us sometimes because they want to default to thinking everybody's good and trusting and we all trust people more that are close. <laughs> Stephanie called you out, man. <laughs> um we want to trust like our office managers and our our wife that does our books or our husband that runs our business. Uh, you know, it's the worst with the people that are closer to us. We have, yeah, we have this bias. So anyway, yeah. So Gabe, I'll tell you just from my own personal experience, it all depends on the culture in the organization. I worked for quite a few organizations where the culture was stellar and we would bring them things and they would look at it and consider it and 
we would determine where to go next. What I found was in places where the culture was somewhat corrupt, it was very difficult and people would shoot the messenger as it were. Like in one organization I worked for, people would come to me as the audit director before they would actually go to management with problems because they thought that I had some sort of magic stick where I, magic wand where I could, you know, exercise some power. Now I would do investigations and investigations would come up showing that something was wrong and the management team would try to come down on me until I disclosed to them that I got all of the information that I got directly from their people. And I said, isn't it strange that your people would come to an auditor before they would come to you? That should be a red flag for you that something is wrong in your culture. So it really depends on the organization. I will say I've only experienced bad cultures twice in my career. Uh, but when it's bad, it's really bad. Yep. Oh, well. really bad like this one was. But this was good. It was bad, but it was good. It was fun. Fun talking about. Yeah. yeah. So, guys, thank you for joining us. Uh, this one was real fun because it took some twists and turns. So, join happy us. Friday. Yeah, join us yeah. next week. Yeah. Bye. See you guys.